He's Pittsburgh-born, and we like him that way. What an incredible Cinderella story. This unknown comes out of nowhere. This is the Adam Crowley Show. Cinderella boy. Uh... On 970 ESPN, and now on 106.3 FM. It's the first day of Steelers training camp, and the Pirates are just as big of a story. They're going to make a trade and reacquire former Pirate Jay ha- uh, um, I guess not. Yankees had a little something to say about that. Leave it to the Pirates to get Hap back on their radar in a year where they can't get him after they got him in the first place a couple years ago when no one wanted him and he turned out great, but now he's going to become a Yankee. That, that sounds about right. Also, Jerome McGinley is retiring after 625 goals and 20 years in the National Hockey League. Rumor is when he goes into the Hall of Fame, Sidney Crosby is going to be the one to induct him, and McGinley will spend the whole ceremony standing on his wrong side. As the Steelers are practicing today, a U.S. Air Force fighter jet just kept flying overhead. It was doing drills. I kept waiting for it to land on the practice field and for Antonio Brown to get out and tell us how tired he is of all the attention. We'll get to some Pirates talk in just a little bit. Also, that topic about A.B. coming up as well. But let's start with the Steelers. It's day one of Steelers training camp. As I mentioned, Tim Ben's in for Adam Crowley up until 7 o'clock tonight. And then we hand things over to the guys down at Dino's for night two of our training camp shows. Ben Roethlisberger did his usual round of day one camp interviews with the local media outlets. And frankly, he had very little to say. Not much newsworthy coming out of the quotes from what I saw from Roethlisberger anyway. Very measured in his quotes. But in many of the Q&As that I read, I saw no questions about Mason Rudolph. So I wonder if that topic was off limits. I'm told that it wasn't, but I figured somebody would have asked. And I didn't see much Q&A, if any about Rudolph and Big Ben and their interactions here now that training camp is upon us after so much discussion was spent about Ben now having to deal for the first time with a likely successor in Rudolph who was taken in the third round. There were questions about Big Ben's future though and part of the reason I'm dubious of the Rudolph stuff is that I don't know how you talk about Big Ben's future without mentioning Mason Rudolph. For instance, Consider this exchange from our Joe Rudder at the Trib regarding Roethlisberger's contract extension and whether or not it's going to come this summer. From Ben to Joe Rudder at the Trib, quote, If there has been talk, it must be small because they haven't told me about it, Roethlisberger said. I'm not worried about the contract stuff. I've got this year and next year, and I'm just going to focus on what I'm supposed to focus on. Whatever they want to do is fine. If they don't want to do it until after my last year, so be it. Roethlisberger said he won't try to break the bank with his next contract. He said he's willing to take less money, according to Joe, if it helps the Steelers keep the core of its roster intact. Ben goes on to say, I've done it in the past, but that's out of my hands. That's for my representatives and the Roonies. They'll talk when the time comes. I don't worry about it because I don't think anything is going on. Well, if Ben isn't trying to break the bank, then why not get it done now before there's even more of a bar to be set once Aaron Rodgers becomes the number one paid overall quarterback again and Ben feels even more inclined to take some money uh, that otherwise perhaps he wouldn't because that bar has gotten so very high. And it's not unprecedented for the Steelers to sign a quarterback two years out anyway. So 
the easy thing to say here is, yes, absolutely sign Ben Roethlisberger right now. But I don't think they're going to. Not this time, not this year. I think they may actually take Ben up on that offer and wait until after his last year. Because for the first time, as mentioned before, in Ben's tenure, they have a succession plan and it's Mason Rudolph. If Ben falters this year and Rudolph looks like he's going to become who they think he will become based on where his draft slot was, then they may not want to tie up $30 million a year in Ben Roethlisberger. They just might not want to at age, at that point, 38 going on 39. So I'll ask you the same question then. Should the Steelers work on a contract for Ben Roethlisberger now or wait? I say wait. 412-922-2874. You can tweet me as well, at Tim Benz, PGH. This contractual stuff with Ben, it's part of the reason why I wrote what I did on reporting day for the Steelers yesterday about this potentially being Ben Roethlisberger's last best chance to win another Super Bowl because, well, frankly, who knows if he's going to be around long enough to reap the rewards of a rebuild. And he's going to have to do that to win another one here. If Ben is going to win another Super Bowl, it might have to be elsewhere as part of a component of a great team like what Peyton Manning did in Denver at the end of his career. Because Marquise Pouncey, Ben Roethlisberger, Marcus Gilbert, Antonio Brown... All these guys are eight years in the league or older. I mean, even a guy who hasn't been around that long in Alejandro Villanueva, he's 29 already. So Roethlisberger isn't going to just be able to play forever with a young core around him that's up and coming like you're perceiving the defense to be in a building process. They might have to rebuild the defense and the offense around Ben again if he were to stay and try to play for another three to five years as he has talked about publicly. Now, I'll admit in advance that whole floating proclamation of last best chance, that's something that sports types like me, we use that quite a bit. It's a casual way of saying, I'm not quite sure when this athlete's career is going to end, but the window is closing on him soon. It's a non-specific. In Roethlisberger's case, though, if he's going to win another Super Bowl in Pittsburgh, it better be this year. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is Roethlisberger's best team in recent years. It isn't. Now, the locker room has yielded one distraction after another. Ryan Shazier is unfortunately unavailable for the team this year. The French 7 is in a state of flux from both a scheme and talent standpoint. Martavis Bryant's potential was deemed unfulfilled, so they cast him off. There's no depth to speak of that we know of behind Le'Veon Bell, and Randy Fittner is taking over the play calling for the first time as the offensive coordinator. Most of all, Ben himself is entering his 15th season. And we talked about before that Pouncey and Brown and Foster, all these guys, minimum eight years of wear and tear on their bodies. But at least they're still in place for now. They won't be next year. Bell will be gone. Foster could be too. The contracts of Pouncey and Gilbert might be issues after the season, and they expire after 2019. And then there's that defense. It's a unit that's young now but still might need to be rebuilt if this group doesn't get better. Bud Dupree, Sean Davis, Artie Burns could be deemed busts or at least replaceable components if things don't come together this fall. And Joe Hayden is going to play forever either. So Roethlisberger, 36 years old, his contract up after 2019, plus there is that Mason Rudolph factor. 
which might complicate the prospect of extending or potentially restructuring Big Ben's current deals. Or his current deal versus what Rudolph's is, which will be at that point two years into his rookie contract. The Steelers drafted Rudolph with at least a notion that he could replace Roethlisberger someday. After two more years of trying with their current starter about to turn 39 by then, the team has the option of turning the reins over to Rudolph if he shows any signs of being starter-worthy in the NFL. So those are the reasons why it might not get any better in the future while Big Ben is in Pittsburgh. A more pressing question is, come February, how good are the chances Roethlisberger can land a seventh title for the franchise? On the surface, like I said, not bad. Roethlisberger's line is intact. Bell is still in town right now. Brown still appears to be in top form. For the first time in a while, it appears that there are a few cracks in the wall that is formed around the AFC that's been built by the New England Patriots. Robert Kraft, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, they can't get on the same page publicly. The Patriots' defense is drawing as many questions as we are asking of the Steelers' defense, and Julian Edelman, he's facing a suspension. That's not to mention that the Steelers might well be playing a division with no other playoff teams for what could be a third year in a row. Baltimore could make a transition to a rookie quarterback. There's no indication the Bengals will improve on their perpetual mediocrity. And the Browns are launching their latest, greatest rebuilding project. And news comes today from Cleveland that they might try to submarine the whole campaign by signing Adam Pacman Jones. So no good can come of that. And what a typical Cleveland Browns move that would be. So, you know, despite all the faults that exist in Pittsburgh, you know, there are opponents elsewhere that are dealing with issues as well. It's not like we look at some of the Steelers and see the warts here and we should ignore where they exist on other teams. We shouldn't. The Steelers, by force of just the sheer will of offensive talent, will be in the playoffs again this year. Then it's just a matter of getting through the bracket and on to the Super Bowl once more. And I say just, and I probably shouldn't, because that, of course, has been the stumbling block since 2010. They're getting there. They're just not getting through. Roethlisberger likely won't be around long enough to reap the benefits of a full rebuild from this current crop of teammates. Similarly, Mason Rudolph might never have himself the compliment of being surrounded with a wealth of great players like Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell in their prime years as Roethlisberger has had. Sure, there will be at least one more year for Roethlisberger in black and gold after this one, yet with Bell leaving and so many of those other questions abound, he's best left to avoid answering them in 2019 or to feel 100% assured of a new contract in 2020. You know, the NFL stars aren't perfectly aligned over Heinz Field for a Super Bowl title journey right now, but the skies are at least close to as clear as they were for Roethlisberger in 05 or 08, when there are also questions being asked. Like, that offensive line that he piloted to a championship was way worse than the one that he's behind right now. He had Moelde Moore as his top running back. In fact, all the questions that you ask of the defense right now for the Steelers, those questions were being asked of the offense back in 2008, and it was Ben who had the, all the answers to get them to a Super Bowl. You know, barring, though, a Brady-esque extension, 
of his career into the, you know, 40s, into his mid-40s. This appears to be Ben Roethlisberger's final legitimate chance to complete that journey for a third time. That's what I think. You can tell me what you think. Again, 412-922-2874. We're going to have some Pirates talk when we come back as well. Uh, we'll get to your thoughts on the Roethlisberger contract, what he talked about today on his future with the Steelers. Is this really his last best chance to win a Super Bowl title in Pittsburgh? We'll continue to discuss those topics, get, get to some Pirates talk, and uh, also hear from some Steelers who are here in Latrobe right now. A couple of interviews that we did before day one of practice going on uh, down from the parking lot where we are. We are at St. Vincent College in Latrobe. Just come to the uh, main gate where the big Steelers banner is, and you can find us across the parking lot from the big Steelers Ford truck. Tim Benz with you here on ESPN Pittsburgh. This is the Adam Crowley Show. Enough! I'm putting these back in my pants. They're mine. This is crazy. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Sets up shop with his projector to his left. Here's the blitz. He loses the ball and it falls on it. Back at the 34-yard line. A 14-yard loss. Wow! Cam Hayward with the sack there. We're going to hear from Cam in just a little bit. He addressed the media today for uh, the Steelers as he gets ready for the rest of his teammates as well out of the practice field. It's day one of Steelers training camp. Tim Benz with you here in Latrobe at St. Vincent College. Thanks for finding us on ESPN Pittsburgh. They're asked to take over at 7 o'clock at Dino's for our night show. Last night, Wolf and I were at Sharky's. Always a good time there. I will be with you from Geo's with Adam Crowley at 7 o'clock tomorrow for our Friday night's campaign up until 9 p.m. Uh, a couple Pirates notes here. Uh, at some point back in mid-February, if uh, you had done a Twitter search and it read something like Broussard, Penguins, and Trade, the flames on your laptop may have just now been doused. And there were months of lead-up to that deal before it happened. Perhaps even more quickly, a search of Archer, Pirates, and Trade has yielded similar results. The Tampa Rays pitcher has seen his whip go up, um, his ERA go up for three years, but that hasn't stopped a lot of people from talking about him as a target for the Pirates. Uh, his strikeout rate has dipped from 11.1 to 9.9 this year. His walks per nine slightly up from 2.7 to 2.9. So, yeah, Archer's not exactly trending in the right direction, but he's just a year removed from an all-star season in Tampa. He's only 29. He eats innings. Uh, he's topped 200 in each of the last three years. That strikeout rate would put him in the top 10 of American League starters if his innings qualified. An ab strain, though, caused him to miss about five weeks. The most recent start for him, though, he struck out 13 without dishing out a walk. It was his best outing of the year. And if you're a Pirates fan who's considering, would it be too much to give up a decent prospect for Archer uh, similar to Broussard, this doesn't have to be a rental move. Archer is under contract for the next three seasons. He's supposed to make $7.6 million in 19, $9 million in 2020, and $11 million in 2021. And even by Pittsburgh standards, that's not exactly a lofty total for an established veteran pitcher. As evidence, they willingly acquired John Neese with a price tag of about $9 million bucks back in 2016, and they're paying Francisco Cervelli and Josh Harrison more than that. Now, don't think the Pirates would be dumpster diving, though. You know, the Yankees were said to be interested in him, and they went out and got Jay Happ today. It's become recently popular 
to you know spit out this refrain if you're a Pirates fan to say that the team needs to reverse course on its thinking when it comes to holding on to prospects instead of using them as chips to acquire major league talent. Um, and I agree with that. I think that's exactly it. I think the Pirates need to get away from hoarding each and every prospect that they have and start looking more kind of like the Penguins have done and use those prospects as leverage points to try to get more established talent here when they contend in the rare times when they are contending and those times include right now. I mean, I'm on board with that way of thinking that Pirates fans have started to talk about. Given the Pirates' recent history of drafting and developing, especially their alleged top picks, there's little evidence to suggest hoarding them like chunks of gold is worthwhile. And oftentimes the perceived blue chippers have not turned out to what the Pirates had hoped they would be. You know, guys like Glasnow and Heredia and Hanson and Stetson Alley, those guys all come to mind. When some prospects, such as Garrett Cole, do pan out, the team decides they aren't worth keeping through arbitration because they're going to be too expensive someday anyway. You know, Corey Dickerson's arbitration contract in 2019, the Pirates aren't going to want to pick that up. So I would say the one guy that they really can't afford to deal is Austin Meadows. I would prefer that they keep Austin Meadows, but anybody else aside from that, Kramer or Newman, the Seinfeld guys on the infield, uh, Keller, uh, you know, some of these other prospects that everybody said, Will Craig, uh, all these other guys that are, were deemed to be untouchable when Pirates fans were convincing themselves that it was all about the future. Now I think you have to adjust your thinking and say, are they valuable enough to go get a guy like Archer, who isn't just for this year but for the next couple as well? So don't rule that name out if you're looking for the Pirates to acquire at the deadline. And, and one more thought before we do get to Cam Hayward and back to the Steelers for a second here. I'm just kind of wondering, now that the Pirates are playing well again and contending once more, I, I just got to ask this question. Is it allowed, are we allowed to be critical on the occasions that they do lose? Or is that not allowed? I'm just wondering because I get the feeling that from the wave of social media reaction and talk show discussion about the team that I heard today, you're, you're only allowed to talk about the good stuff and how they are going to add at the deadline and not subtract or how they won games and how they didn't lose them. Like, for instance, yes, granted, yesterday was the first loss in 12 games. But I haven't heard a peep of critical discussion about how many things went wrong in that loss as the Pirates are supposed to be trying to track down the wild card. Like Gregory Polanco's error in right field. Like the weak lineup that Clint Hurdle put out there when every game apparently matters again now. Like Felipe Vasquez being disengaged and serving up a homer when he wasn't in a save situation. All I've heard and read all day is which pitcher the Pirates are going to get at the trade deadline, whether it's Archer or the, you know, the reliever from Texas, uh, Keone Kella, all, all these guys that you're hearing bandied about. Hap's name came back up again. Soria's name came back up again. But I was told that what was missing in terms of baseball enthusiasm and baseball excitement in Pittsburgh was the fact that we didn't talk about games. We didn't talk about baseball. We didn't talk about meat on the bone. We didn't talk about what happened in a win or a loss and living and dying with every game like we did in the early 90s like we did in 2013 14 and 15 we just didn't do that anymore and that the sport itself had become mundane and boring all we talked about were the business assets of who was going to be sold off at the deadline well okay let's do that but it's not just hey let's talk about how great they are when they go on an unbelievable streak and they win games in blowout fashion like they've been doing in ohio 
You know, they lost yesterday to the Indians. We'll talk about this with Lance Lysowski when he joins us at about 440 or so. But, you know, when they lose a game like they did against Cleveland, let's talk about that too. You know, it's it's okay to second-guess the manager's lineup. It's okay to still be upset with Gregory Polanco when he screws up in the outfield even though he's been hitting home runs. You know, it's okay to talk about why the closer can't keep a game close when he's not in a close situation and he serves up a slider that doesn't slide for a home run. Like, I get it. It was Trevor Bauer. I get it. He's good. He struck out 13. But, you know, he's facing Sean Rodriguez, Jacob Stallings, and Jordy Mercer at the bottom of that lineup. No, they can't all play every day. Yes, they do need days off. But when you already know that Corey Dickerson is going to be able to play, maybe you just don't phone it in with the old Jim Leland Sunday lineup, which is now very fast become the Clint Hurdle Sunday lineup approach, as they did yesterday with the day game after the night game. You know, they got a lot of ground to make up. And I don't just think that you kind of mail in a loss there. Oh, it's Bauer. We're going to lose anyway. Uh, that's kind of the approach that I felt like they had yesterday against the Indians. 412-922-2874. All right. Um, before we go back to Steelers talk with some thoughts about Stephon Tewitt, let's hear from one of his running mates along the defensive line. That's Cam Hayward. Let's hear what he had to say as he met with the media today before practice number one here at St. Vincent College in Latrobe. Talked about about improving the run defense. I know, I know. Every year you want to do that. Is it more of a focus this year? And how do you do it? Uh, work on tackling. Um, you know, I think we we were last in the league when it came to missed tackles. So uh, you clean that stuff up, uh, and we were already a top five defense. Uh, it puts us in a better category when you do that. So um, you know, you stress it more. Um, but at the end of the day, guys got to buy in. And that's what we're talking about now. Cam, anytime you lose in the postseason, I know it's disappointing the way you lost to Jacksonville early because of the things you just mentioned. Was that was that even more frustrating and disappointing? Yeah, um, because I think we had a decent year throughout the whole year, um, but we were only looked at by our last game. Um, you look at that game, it was an offensive onslaught for both teams. So um, at the end of the day, we got to get better on defense uh, because if you win that game, you go into the next weekend, you know, you got a chance to rewrite the story. So. Um, you know, that's the, the game we're in, but we got to continue to improve and uh, can't have those mishaps. What's the encore for you this season, especially after the year you had last season? It, it, there is no encore. It's a complete reset. Uh, you know, I got to get back to work. I got to work and um, got something to prove. Cam, I know camp is obviously a grind. But is there something special about day one walking down that hill for the fans and, and getting on that field? Oh, well, it's a joy to see our fans. Um, you know, I, I always look forward to seeing them. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's just about, uh, it's like that first day of school. Even though you hate school, <laughs> you, you love being to go see your friends and hang out. But, uh, you know, this is a little bit different. I enjoy what I do. And, uh, you know, I, it, you want to show that work you put in the offseason and, uh, you know, show the coaches that you're ready. Okay, uh, how do you want us to refer to you, defensive end or defensive tackle? Uh, just Mr. Hayward. Mr. Hayward. <laughs> no, uh. No. Uh, Mr. Defensive Tackler. Just, call, just, call me, just call me a hybrid because uh, I play all over the line. Yeah, when you say buy-in, what does that mean to you? Uh, trusting that everybody's going to do your job and then executing. Um, sometimes, you know, our coaches give us a, a great game plan, and most of the time that's what happens, but uh, it's about executing and knowing your assignment and then going out there and doing it. Kim, do you, I, do you feel that's kind of what happened against Jacksonville? I mean, you guys yeah. talked about that, that the players didn't do what they needed to do. Right. Well, if you have nine guys doing one thing and then two guys or one guy, you know, it sets the defense back because 
every offense is going to find that 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 mishap, and when they do, they're going to exploit exploit it. So um, it's not single out one person, but it's having everyone buy in and understand that we have to be a cohesive unit. Uh, it's a little bit different from offense defense because if an offensive lineman misses a block, a quarterback can make that up, or a running back can make somebody miss. On defense, everybody has to be responsible. There can't be any mishaps. Okay, Cam, sure. uh, despite the good things that you did last year, mm-hmm. when you're humbled in a game like that Jacksonville game, right. is that is that motivating you? Do you guys feel like, I mean, how humbling was that and how much do you think that might help this year? They're always humbled. Um, you know, when you lose, you, you learn lessons. And if you don't, you know, you're not in the right game. Uh, so, you know, going through those losses, um, every, one, every loss you should learn something different. Uh, and, you know, it's just about understanding what you did um, and improving on that. How different is it for you having a new position coach after all those years with Mitch? A little, di- a little different. Um, you know, I still see Mitch around, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm feeling him out. He's feeling me out. Um, but I'm just trying to buy in. Uh, you know, his transition from college to the NFL back, I mean, he was in, already in the NFL, but uh, his transition back, uh, trying to make it easy as possible. Uh, he's got some different terminology, so we're, we're, we're picking each other's brains and trying to get on the same page. Thanks, man. Very. Uh, but I don't think it's just going to do it. Uh, you know, I think Tyson, LT, Hargrave, you know, I think those guys, you know, pay pay, pay their bills and they, they do what they're supposed to do. So um, we can have the most disruptive unit um, in the NFL. It's just about doing it. Um, you know, I totally believe in my defensive line. I'm excited where we're at. All right, that's Cam Hayward, David DeCastro coming up a little bit later on. You're going to hear from him, Vance McDonald, too. And uh, interesting conversation with Stephen Ridley, one of the backs. We've seen a lot of action with Le'Veon Bell out of practice right now because of his contractual situation. And for as good as Hayward is, and he is good, and I think part of the reason we know he's good, he's consistent, the guy along the defensive line I'm more interested in watching this year is actually Stephon Tewitt. And, and there's very little dislike about Tewitt. From the standpoint of effort and potential and personality, he's just one of those guys that you want to see thrive. Um, he's usually one guy that you point to when you talk about things to like about this difference or this defense, rather. But you know, for a player of his caliber and for a player of his fiber, when you look at any negatives that he has had or down moments that he has had, there have been more than what there should be, and it's largely because of injury. You know, he's scratched because of health way too much. His productivity doesn't match his contract. Um, in his first year as a starter in 2015, he had 39 tackles and six and a half sacks. Over the last two years, he's had just 47 sacks or 47 tackles and seven sacks combined. And that's in large part because he missed six complete games and a large chunk of others with injuries. His knee cost him two games in 2016. Uh, may have hampered him for at least one more. Uh, the same can be said for last year's injury at a torn bicep on the second play of the opener against Cleveland. That cost him two full games in most of week one. The injury, in his words, made him play with, as he described it, an arm and a quarter all season long. Then a back injury cropped up, which sidelined him for week seven and eight as well. So if you want to look at what Tua looks like when he's healthy, we'll go back and watch those first two snaps against the Browns. It looked like he was going to ruin the game and make it unplayable for four quarters. And then he got hurt. As Tua said himself, he wants to treat 2018 as a revenge tour. And before last season, I talked to Tua about the state of the Steelers' pass rush and how it needed to improve. And 
he kind of looked at me like he wanted to break me, which he could with that one quarter of an arm, by the way. And he said, do you know how many pressures I had last year? And I was like, no, 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 I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about the team in general. He goes, no, do you know how many pressures I had last year? i got to make those sacks. So in other words, you know, he's being critical of himself, saying that those are plays that he had to finish. The Steelers' pass rush, I thought, improved last season. Um, when healthy, Tua was a part of that. He and Hayward had 102 pressures. That's according to Pro Football Focus. That was the most of any interior defensive line tandem in the AFC. But don't get too swayed by that because we all know that record-setting sack total was definitely bloated. If the outside linebackers are going to combine for less than 20 sacks again, then Tua and Hayward need to finish the job more often. Hayward did his part with 12. Now it's time for Tua to keep up. He also could help improve the run defense, which started to waver as the season dragged along last year. Some Pittsburgh football fans have balked at the notion of signing Le'Veon Bell to a five-year, $60 million contract, yet that's what two would sign before last season, not counting Ryan Shazier. I think only Hayward and Hayden make more against the cap on defense than Tewitt in this season. That's even after Tewitt agreed to restructure. For at least the two snaps that we saw in September, he looked like he was going to be worth every penny of that but that pace didn't last beyond that. Now, if healthy, and as vengeful as he claims to be, to it playing up to that level of buy-in from the franchise may impact the defense and help hide its other shortcomings more than any other experiments that Keith Butler is trying at these second and third levels in 2018. And I mean, like, Bud Dupree flip-flopping with T.J. Watt. I mean, like, everything they're trying to do with inside linebacker, everything they're trying to do with all the safeties. Tuit being what Tuit can be probably will be a bigger impact than any of that if he's healthy. 412-922-2874. All right, when we come back, uh, we're going to hear from Lance Lysowski. We'll talk Pirates next. Make sure you're with us here. Tim Benson for Adam Crowley. Yeah, in my personal record book, if this makes Pittsburgh, the Steelers, the fans of the Steelers, you, if it makes everyone feel better, in my own personal record book, uh, the Steelers won that game, the Patriots lost, and that means the Steelers are on track to be the one seed in the AFC. <laughs> the Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. This is exclusive coverage of the 2018 Steelers training camp. Presented by Bud Light, famous among friends, and Spring Hill Suites Latrobe, where you can expect a legendary experience. And also brought to you by Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine and LECOM at Seton Hill and Excella Health. How can we help you today? Today's training camp injury report is brought to you by Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine and LECOM at Seton Hill. Today's injury report is this. Bryce Harris released by the Steelers for, well, a non-football related injury. He's got an illness of some sort, and I guess that's why he failed the run test and he was let go. So that was our training camp injury report brought to you by Lake Erie of Osteopathic Medicine and LECOM at Seton Hill. I'm, as far as injuries go, at least right now anyway, much more worried about Starling Marte and Corey Dickerson, so let's find out what's going on there with Lance Lysowski from DKPittsburghSports.com as we switch gears and talk a little bit about the Pirates. Lance, back from the great state of Ohio and passing off the game coverage duties tonight. Is that right, Lance? Yeah, just taking because we're going to have some, some trade deadline stuff coming up and uh, nice time to just step away for a day and dive right in. It's going to be a pretty interesting weekend, I would say. 
Yeah, I would think so. And let's get to the trade deadline stuff and then whatever update you might have on Dickerson and Marte. But regarding the trade deadline, I guess the dream has died. No return of Jay Happ, huh? No, and I don't know why there was all that hype about them getting a starting pitcher. I know fans want it. Of course, it would be the sexy move to make. But this team loves these young starting pitchers. And Trevor Williams has pitched really well as of late. Yvonne Nova's been better his last uh, three outings, I would say. So I don't know who – no one's really pitched themselves out of a job yet. Of course, you would upgrade if you could, but – Neil Huntington's not going to want to trade any of their top prospects. And you just look at the price of, let's say, Jay Happ or even Joaquin Soria, the reliever today. Now, the the, uh, Brewers had to give up a former first-round pick to get Soria. So right now, heading into the deadline, I'm not so sure the Pirates are even going to make a move. So that goes for the bullpen help that's been rumored, too, then, in Keone Kella from... The Texas Rangers? Yeah, I mean, that would be, that would, that might actually require Austin Meadows or Mitch Keller in that trade. I mean, Keller is a 24 year old closer with 23 saves this year. He just blew his first save of the season, what was that, two nights ago. So I, I don't know. I'm sure that they, they called to just gauge interest, but if anything, it just shows that Neil Huntington's calling around to see who's available. And obviously, a bullpen help is going to be the one thing they are looking at. Would that be awful, though, Lance, to trade a prospect or two? I know that they are allergic to even that discussion, but, you know, they have tried for years and years and years to hold on to every prospect possible, and not a ton of them have panned out to the level that they were drafted at. And then you get into the thinking of, well, what would they have gathered in return? And uh, I can see where Pirates fans are starting to have this groundswell of, Let's start doing what the Penguins do and trade some of these prospects for more known commodities in the rare opportunities where they are contending, and right now they do appear to be contending, at least for the short term. Yeah, I get it, and, and I, I do agree with you. I think that given Starling Marte is 29 years old, who knows how much more of a, a peak he's going to be at. I think this is probably the best. He, he is reaching his the pinnacle of his career. Gregory Polanco is hitting extremely well. You've got Corey Dickerson on the roster. There's some real pieces there. Plus, you got the young starting pitching that's going well. If you're going to push the chips in, I still wouldn't trade Mitch Keller. I think he's a future chop of the rotation starter. Wouldn't touch that one. But Austin Meadows, maybe. Uh, it, it all depends on what you're trying to get here. I wouldn't trade for Keller. I'm not a huge fan. He's had elbow and shoulder issues in the past. But if you go out and you try to make a trade like the Indians did a couple of years ago and get maybe someone like Andrew Miller, I'm not saying you're going to get Andrew Miller because he's not going to be available, but that sort of dominant bullpen piece you can have to pair with with Vasquez. I don't think there's anybody really out there this season. So that said, I really do like the back end of that bullpen with Crick and Vasquez and even Santana right now. I would add to it, though, and I don't think that would require a top prospect to get that done. See, I would avoid putting Meadows in any discussion, Lance, because, well, number one, he looked like he belonged before he slumped and had to go down. And then you look at next year, and you see Dickerson with one more arbitration year on his contract, and it strikes me that even if Dickerson plays well and they make the playoffs, they would be more inclined to just give the third outfield job to Meadows at that point, wouldn't they? Yeah, and let's say hypothetically they do keep Meadows. That obviously means they're going to trade Dickerson in the offseason. You could still get a pretty hefty return as long as he plays well during the second half and stays healthy. Um, but if you do dangle Meadows out there, you have Jason Martin, the outfielder they got in the Garrett Cole trade, who's still hitting. He's playing extremely well at AAA now. You could see what you have in him. There's Brian Reynolds, the outfielder they acquired, the Andrew McCutcheon trade. So there are outfield pieces in this organization that – 
if you do think it's worth something, you know, if it's something you consider, go for it. But I don't think I would do it unless you can get a very good player to supplement this roster, whether that be, let's say, Chris Archer, for instance, a controllable starting pitcher, somebody who's going to be around beyond this season. Not only a controllable starting pitcher, but a starting pitcher is controllable and will make less than make John better. Neese made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and uh, there's not, it's just a very weird trade market. There's a lot of guys out there, but it seems like, you know, you get the Mets with the Garam. It doesn't look like they're going to trade him. It looks like the Orioles might not even trade their remaining pieces. So I don't know. And when it comes to those middle relievers, those bullpen pieces, they can be a lottery ticket at times. You really don't know what you're going to get, especially this year. You don't really see that Andrew Miller type out there anymore. Brad Hand was the last one to really to really come off the market. Lance Lysowski with us from DKPittsburghSports.com talking about the Pirates a little bit while we're at Steelers training camp today. Lance, as I brought up Dickerson, what's his status injury-wise regarding his hamstring, and what are you hearing about Starling Marte, too? Well, it bodes well that Austin Meadows is still in AAA, and he's in the lineup for tonight, too. If, if they had serious concerns about either one of those guys, Meadows would be up by now. One of them would be on the DL because you're, you're getting into this critical stretch here, Tim, where I know they play the Mets this weekend, but this is four games before the non-waiver deadline. The Cubs and the Brewers are both playing better baseball the last couple of days. Um, you don't want to fall behind. You, get, you lose three out of four of the Mets, you lose the ground that you already gained the last week or so. So I think that it does bode well. Dickerson said he wasn't really all too concerned about it uh, following the, the hamstring pull the other night. So in Marte, it looks like a bruise. I mean, pretty much Clint Hurdle came out and said it's just a contusion. So usually that takes a couple of days. But you can't keep trotting out Jordan Lupo as your leadoff hitter like they are again tonight. Yeah, Lupo leading off tonight. I'm glad you brought up the lineup with him being the leadoff guy and just in general Lance I talked about this earlier on the program and I want to know if you agree with the opinion or not that you know there were things that went wrong in yesterday's game that I think are definitely worth talking about and it's kind of funny to me that you know we've spent so much time here in Pittsburgh bemoaning the fact that we never really talk baseball anymore because it's always just constantly a swirl of the business of the game stuff right and the Pirates somehow managed to go on this unbelievable 11-game win streak, and once people started to notice they were winning so easily, you didn't get into any X's and O's discussion about the game the next day. You know what I mean? And Then he got this game yesterday where it was, I thought, winnable, even though Bauer pitched great, except for the fact that they didn't give themselves a chance to win due to the lineup that they put out there. And, you know, like given the fact that they knew Dickerson was going to be out... Um, do you really put Stallings and Esrod in that game with Dickerson already on the bench and then have that be augmented by the fact that Marte got hurt mid-game? Yeah, no, I I don't blame. The Sean Rodriguez start, okay, I mean, he was playing well in Cincinnati, so be it. You put him in, you give Josh Harrison a day off, because it's not like Harrison. Overall, yes, he homebird in his first game back, but he hasn't been playing all that well even before uh, the hamstring pool the last game before the All-Star break. So you really set yourself up for a bad situation when you have Jordan Lupo hitting leadoff. I know Clay Hurdle doesn't want to disrupt things. I get it. You're on an 11-game winning streak. Marte's hitting extremely well in the two-hole. But Jordan Lupo's been off a couple of games. Bauer's a right-handed pitcher. It's not like he's a lefty. I, I don't understand that. I think you move, you make – I would have rather had Sean Rodriguez batting late to lead off than putting Jordan Lupo. Oof. And then, of Oof. course, worst-case scenario happens. Marte gets hit by the pitch, and then you have your top two hitters in the lineup or – Lupo and Adam Frazier, the same Adam Frazier who was batting 220 in his uh, his time in AAA. So 
it was just a bad look, and um, it just didn't work out well. I mean, the whole tone of the game changed, obviously, as soon as Marte gets hit by that pitch, and they just didn't play well. I mean, the at-bats, they did sell off a lot of pitches, but they just got bullied out there by Bauer. Yeah, I just, uh, if people want to really revisit and relish what made the early 90s so great and what made 2013, 14, and 15 so great was every baseball game, you know, 30, 40, 50 of them down the stretch, you know, they were treated like the final drive of the Patriots and Steelers. Yeah. There's just an importance to them, and that just doesn't happen when you only win. And And I get it. No one wants to say the least negative thing about these guys because they've been so good lately and they've salvaged the season and that's fantastic but you know I see a lineup like that I see Vasquez come in again as usual a closer is not in a safe situation being used to just get work utterly disengaged grooves a pitch home run and and, uh, I'll I'll give you another one Uh, Polanco's play out in right field like normally that's something we talk about non-stop after a Pirates loss if it's a regular Pirates game but I just don't want us to be devoid of criticism because they'd played so well in the previous two weeks, if you catch my yeah. drift. And I think there are real concerns of this bullpen. Stephen Baralt, again, pitches a, a couple days ago back in, uh, back in Cincinnati and, again, just struggles with command. Edgar Santana gave up a run finally. Kyle Crick and Vasquez yesterday. I just think they need to supplement that bullpen because right now the starting pitching is pitching deep into the game. This is the first time they've had a stretch like this all season. There's going to be regression. It's inevitable. You're not going to be pitching through the seventh, sixth and seventh inning every night. And they don't have a bullpen right now set up to, to bridge that gap. Even Glass now is not the same pitcher as he was a couple months ago. The command's erratic again. He kind of looks back being the same pitcher he was, you know, last season. So they need to make a move there. They have to. And I know that they hate to trade prospects, but you look at the organization, I look at what they have, and I think you have to trade maybe a Kevin Kramer to get that bullpen arm. Trade somebody like that and sell high on a guy who's having another fine season power-wise. And um, it's not like relief pitching controllable beyond this year is all that expensive. Go get Jared Hughes for all I care. And guys, guys having a pretty good year in Cincinnati, they just need another arm out there because – I like the starting pitching. I like what they're doing. The defense has been so much better, you know, the past couple of weeks. But, again, I just keep looking at that bullpen. And you're just waiting for Richard Rodriguez to to become the pitcher that (laughs) he was before this season. And if that happens, they're in deep trouble. So you think that's where it is then, Lance? If this team were to reverse course and start going back south again, the bigger deal would be that the bullpen falters as opposed to the starting pitching showing cracks like it did uh, just as, for instance, during that really bad stretch against the Dodgers? I don't really have an issue with the starting pitching right now. Uh, Avon Nova, there are some concerns there. You look at some of the underlying numbers. As much of his last couple of starts have been better, again, but you're not going to get anybody to take him off your hands. You, you kind of have to just ride with him, I guess, or maybe put him in the bullpen, worst-case scenario. But I, I like Nick Kingham. You look at his number last couple of starts, and I think he has the tools to be to be a major league starting pitcher. Tyone's been just really good the last 11 times out. And Joe Musgrove, I don't know how you cannot like what this guy's done, you know, when he's, when he's healthy, when he's on the mound. So if you want to add a starter, I get it, but I think that that's not a group that you should be all that concerned about right now. And I look at the lineup, the middle infield are the two that aren't really producing. So you're not going to be able to rely on that type of stretch in the outfield like they got for those 11 games the entire season. I don't know. And you're not going to, Get rid of Josh Harrison, or probably even get a starter ahead of him. But there are some, there are holes in this lineup. There are holes in the bullpen, and you wonder if Trevor Williams is going to keep this up. Last thing, Lance. I know this is a little bit esoteric to wrap up here, but I'll ask anyway. Is Neil Huntington happy? 
that they're doing what they're doing, or does this actually kind of piss him off a little bit? I wouldn't say it would piss him off a little bit, and I, I don't know if it would make him happy or not. I think that he's in a difficult position right now. I don't envy him because you look at your team and, okay, are they better than the Cubs? If they make one trade, can they realistically compete for the division title? I don't think so. So you're playing for a wild card berth. Okay, so what are you going to give up to try to play for that one-game playoff? Do you do it? I, I'm not so sure because I don't think this team has what it takes to keep this up. You're not going to win. I'm not saying, you know, winning 11 out of 12 or, you know, 14 out of 15 or 14 out of 16, whatever it is. I just don't think they're a playoff team because of, like I said, the lack of production from the middle infield. Paul Moran's not producing. There's no power from your first baseman right now. And now Francisco Cervelli's back, and he wasn't hitting when he was behind the plate before then. So I think the better catcher is your backup now. I don't know. I'm, I'm just not convinced. And I think it would require them making two to three moves. And realistically, what this office, this front office has done for the last, well, ever since it got here, they, they're not going to do that. So stand pat, hold, buy or sell, you're saying they probably stand pat and hold then? I think they stand pat and hold, and you always have the you can you can still make moves in August like they've done the last couple of years. If you lose, then you can get rid of let's say Jordy Mercer, David Freeze, or heck maybe even Corey Dickerson, you know during the waiver period. Or if you're in it, then you can maybe supplement your bullpen. They got George Contos last year, which actually worked well last year, not so much this year. So there's some players that are available then. So considering who's out of the lineup right now, I mean they lose three out of four against the Mets. I still think they stand pat. They see what happens the next couple of weeks in August, and then they make a move because that schedule in August is not easy. You got that ten game trip that's going to be kind of a bear. Lance, when you go back to cover your next game, will you arrive in a helicopter? I will not, and I'm not even going to comment. I just can't. I, I just can't wrap my wrap my mind. I liked your tweet yesterday, by the way, because it's just so true. <laughs> oh yeah, you know we're going to get into that in the next hour. In fact, we might do that next. But I don't care that he showed up in a helicopter. I cared that he yelled at us five weeks ago for paying him too much attention. <laughs> Absolutely, and I know that a lot of people disagree with, with with that stance, but absolutely. I mean, if you don't want the attention, you don't want to be that guy. Then don't show up in a helicopter. Show up like uh, one of the Redskins did with a couple of puppies behind you or something. Come on, do something. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the creativity, but it's too much. It really is. All right, Lance. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Anytime, Tim. See you soon. All right, that is Lance Lysowski from DKPittsburghSports.com covering the Pittsburgh Pirates. When we come back, yeah, we'll talk about the fallout from the AB helicopter experience and how Steelers fans are handling that right now. We'll do so when we come back from St. Vincent College. In Latrobe, Tim Benzin for Adam Crowley.